Oh, look, just what we need, a blame game. Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock, editor at QuorumReport.com, and here to help me sort it all out this week. Somehow the man has power, but I'm not sure he has water. It's Jeremy Wallace at the Houston Chronicle. Actually, I know, Jeremy, you have a lot of bottled water because you've been through disasters before. You've covered these situations before. I have as well. I'm thinking about hurricanes going back to... You know, 2005 and before that, um, and Austin might not survive a hurricane. They don't get hurricanes in Austin, obviously not on the not on the coast. Uh, but I know you covered them in Florida. I've covered them in Texas. We've you know we've done all these. I mean, Hurricane Katrina in Louisiana and uh, Rita in Houston, Ike and Harvey. I think uh, you covered uh, one of the ones you covered was uh, Hurricane Charlie. Is that right? Yeah, Hurricane Charlie in Florida knocked our power out for a good solid week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's one of those ones where you're, you know, like, okay, when you're getting your emergency supply kit together every year, folks, make sure you got a week's worth of water, yep. something to light a fire with, mm-hmm. uh, and some ways to keep warm. You know, it's like just always have that stuff handy just because you just never know what's going to hit. Maybe one of the benefits, storm, yeah, one know? of the benefits of having so many right wing friends is I also know so many preppers. So yeah. they're they're ready with a, a lot of this stuff. Um, and in Austin, um, I could tell that there were a lot of people who it, it, nothing to do with being liberal. They just haven't taken, um, haven't had to do this before. And yeah. um, you know, I was driving around on um, Monday and Tuesday, and I've got uh, the four by four. I've, I can click the four wheel drive on on my truck. And for those first couple of days, you needed to have four wheel drive, and you needed to drive about. 10 to 15 miles per hour max yeah, if you're going to be out exactly. on the snow and the ice this week. And driving around, um, trying to help people with different things, uh, and I noticed just long lines. You couldn't miss them. Long lines of people um, around the UT campus. I saw folks standing around the building at the Target and the CVS there trying to get in for basic supplies. On South Congress Avenue, I saw uh, probably a line that was a two-and-a-half or three-hour line for people to try to buy a slice of pizza, just looking for anything to eat. Raisin Cane's Chicken uh, on MLK, same thing. I mean, people were suffering, and the suffering was all over the state. We have now, because of this winter storm, think about this, after COVID-19, which was a declared disaster across all 254 counties in Texas, we've now had another one where all 254 counties were also once again declared disaster areas because of this blizzard, this winter storm that came in. Coating the state with ice, knocking out power infrastructure, uh, making it miserable uh, for people who were surviving it. People were, in the meantime, dying from it in other places, right? We had immediately had reports of uh, people dying of carbon monoxide poisoning. Uh, I know we're going to hear more reports in the days to come about people who probably just froze to death in their homes. uh, Because what was was the temperature uh, on Monday and Tuesday overnight? I mean, it was was down to uh, one degree. And zero degrees in some places. Well, especially when you get into some of those southern areas that aren't Mm -hmm. used to this at all. People in Del Rio got a foot of snow yesterday. Right. You know, it's just like this is not how we're equipped to handle any of this stuff, right? You know, it's like – and one of the things like going forward for for sure for me, like anytime I ask any politician about – you know the response to the you know, to this storm this week. Mm-hmm. I'm always going to remember Carol Anderson. Carol okay. Anderson is a 75 year old Vietnam vet in Crosby, Texas, whose oxygen supply got cut off when the electricity went out, yeah. and so he stumbled to his his truck where he had portable 
uh, you know, oxygen tanks that he could still use, mm-hmm. and that is where he died on Tuesday, wow. uh, trying to get his last breath. A 75-year-old Vietnam veteran left to die because of whatever just happened. And I'm always going to have that guy in my head when I'm thinking about asking questions yep. of, you know, political leaders and electrical leaders and whoever else yeah. as to why this happened. This is a real-world problem with real-world solutions required. So the leadership in Texas really under the gun to deliver. Um, We will get to Senator Cruz, believe me. There's a lot of talk about that on social media, about the fact that he skipped to – where did he go? Cancun? Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll get to that in just a little bit. But I do think that that's sort of a sideshow to the fact that Governor Abbott was immediately playing the blame game. Um, and, and you're saying that that happened in, on Tuesday in Montgomery yep. County? Yep. That was around the same time that Governor Abbott was on the Sean Hannity show on Fox News Channel. And and Fox News Channel, of course, I'm not knocking anybody for appearing on that, but it is the preferred mode of communication for statewide Republicans in Texas to, to talk to voters. Um, the governor told Sean Hannity when asked about renewable energy, which is part of the the energy portfolio that we have in Texas, uh, when he was asked about that, this is what he said as far as wind energy's role in these blackouts. So this shows how the Green New Deal would be a deadly deal for the United States of America. Texas is blessed with multiple sources of energy, such as uh, natural gas and oil uh, and nuclear, as, as well as uh, solar and wind. Uh, but you saw from what Trace said, uh, and that is our wind and our solar got shut down, and, and they were uh, collectively more than 10 percent of our power grid. And that thrust Texas into a situation where it was lacking power in a statewide basis uh, that was power that was spread out by that ERCOT organization, organization that you were talking about. As a result, uh, it just shows uh, that fossil fuel is necessary uh, for the state of Texas as well as other states to make sure that we will be able to heat our homes in the wintertime and cool our homes in the summertime. Fossil fuel also failed because it was too cold for natural gas to move through pipelines, right? Um, You had coal plants go offline because it was so cold. You had the South Texas nuclear project go offline because it was so cold. Here's the bottom line. It's not any one specific fuel for energy that went offline. It was all of the fuel mix that we have that went offline because it was so cold, because the investment hasn't been done to winterize against this kind of an event. Now, has this happened before? Yes. Um, now, it, uh, in fairness, it was not quite as bad as what happened this week. However, exactly 10 years ago, in 2011, there were rolling blackouts across Texas. You may remember this. Some of our listeners may remember this. Miserable for a lot of people. Rolling blackouts are terrible. Um, what was the cause of those rolling blackouts? It was in the same month, February of 2011. There was a report issued, and a lot of people talked about a federal report on that. There was a state-level report issued by the State Affairs Committee in the Texas House that's led by Republicans. They did an investigation, and they identified all of the problems with the energy grid that led to the catastrophe this week. And Jeremy, I was looking out uh, across the landscape and trying to figure out, you know, in that 10-year period, whether leadership in the state did anything about what was in that report. Trying to be charitable here and really asking the question. And as far as I can tell, they didn't do anything about it. Now, did you see some of the reaction to Governor Abbott's comments about wind energy? 
I mean, this oh, yeah. r- this kicked off a, a debate very quickly, a divisive debate very quickly. And we, we earlier we mentioned those different hurricanes that we covered years ago. I'm thinking back to you know, it's amazing to think that it was uh, about 15 years ago. You think about uh, uh, hurricanes Katrina and Rita in Houston. I remember Governor Perry and the um, uh, mayor of Houston at the time was Bill White, and you would see them appear together at press conferences. They were really working hand in glove to try to make sure that people in Southeast Texas were safe. And I don't remember any debates breaking out like this among the top leadership. There are always people who are angry during a disaster, and they should be uh, because their lives have been upended. But leaders generally would try to bring people together. Um, This has definitely changed. Uh, to, To throw the Green New Deal out there as red meat on Fox News Channel, while that guy in Montgomery County was dying while stumbling on his way to get his oxygen tank. That should put it in perspective for people, yeah. right? Now, the reactions were not good. I, I checked in with some of the uh, conservative radio talk show hosts in Texas. I, I like to go to those guys first when there's Republican messaging going out there like this from Governor Abbott because they're sort of the first temperature takers of what the Republican base thinks about these things. They talk to them and they're calling shows all the time. And as far as I could tell – the Republican conservative radio talk show hosts, they were not buying it at all. They, uh, in fact, one of them asked this question. They said, is this anger at wind and at ERCOT, which we'll talk about a little bit more in a minute, uh, the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, which is going to be under the microscope. Um, this guy said, is that anger performative? Is that just theater or is it real? Um, I think it can sort of be both. But so, so you had conservatives not really buying it. When Abbott was saying that. And of course, liberals are just roasting him for saying that because they love green energy and they want it to be part of what we do here in Texas. Well, Abbott was asked about all of that blowback at a news conference the very next day in Austin. And listen to this. He toned it way down. So over the past uh, 24 to 48 hours, I have conducted about uh, two dozen or more interviews. And I have repeatedly talked about how Every source of power that the state of Texas has has been compromised, uh, whether it be uh, renewable power such as wind or solar, but also, as I mentioned today, uh, access to uh, coal-generated power, access to gas-generated power also have been compromised, uh, whether it be with regard to systems freezing up or equipment failures, as well as uh, our nuclear power facility. So the, the fact is, every source of power the state of Texas has access to uh, has been compromised because of the ultra-cold temperature or uh, because of equipment failures. So there he acknowledges that all of the forms of energy production went offline because it was so cold and we are not um, sort of uh, structured and fortified uh, to be able to stave that off at our energy production facilities. So given that all these forms of power went offline, why was he badmouthing the Green New Deal just the night before? What, what I made clear uh, was the fact that if we relied solely upon green energy, that would be a challenge. Uh, but in Texas, uh, we do not rely solely upon green energy. We have access 
uh, to all, all sources of energy. All sources of energy. Uh, you know, I was reading some of the analysis about this, Jeremy, uh, from business uh, publications, and they made the point that what you want uh, when you're putting together an energy portfolio for a state, and people will talk about Texas as a nation state uh, because we are so large, ninth or tenth biggest economy on the planet, and we're known as the energy capital of the world and couldn't turn the lights on this week. It's highly ironic to a lot of folks. Um, you want a mix for a few reasons. One is that all of these different uh, energy production um, uh, fuels can fail in different ways. So sometimes uh, you might have wind energy go offline because the wind stops blowing, right? You might have solar go offline because the sun isn't shining because the clouds are out. You might have the gas lines uh, go, uh, you know, go uh, frozen, and so you can't move gas through them. Um, in this instance, they all went offline at once for the same exact reason. And so they were trying to bring them back up. You can winterize these energy production facilities, but that's going to cost a lot of money. So the governor in one of his press conferences, he put a couple of new items out there, a few new items for the legislature to tackle. One of them is ERCOT reform. Okay. The Energy Reliability Council of Texas. How many people, Jeremy, do you think heard of that for the first time this week? Oh, probably. <laughs> I would imagine 99% of Texans right. were like, what yeah. is he talking about? Yeah, I heard a show, a uh, radio show out of uh, South Texas where they said, that sounds like a stone fruit or something, an ERCOT. Is that like an apricot or <laughs> or what? They didn't know anything about it. It's sort of, to, to a lot of, the easy way to think about it is sort of a nonprofit uh, that's set up to manage the power grid. Um, I think a lot of people also learned for the first time that we have our own energy grid in Texas. Um, I, I, I was a little surprised to, to find out that so many people didn't know that. There are three energy grids in the United States, an eastern grid. A Western Grid and Texas. Yep. When the secessionist guys, when those when those uh, Texas independence activists, when they talk about uh, leaving the union, one of the things they point to is the fact that Texas has its own grid for energy, but it doesn't take in the entire state, right? There are a couple of places where they don't have it. So a friend of mine from Lubbock, um, their power was out for about ten minutes because guess what? They're on the Southwest Power Pool. Yep. As is El Paso, right? So yep. they probably had some problems, but not like we had. Uh, throughout the ERCOT regions, which is most of the state, probably 90, 90 plus percent of the state. The governor says it needs to be reformed. Um, some of the things that people learned this week, for example, there's no requirement that the board members at ERCOT have to live in Texas. The chairman lives in Michigan, right? Yeah. The uh, One of the board members lives in Germany. Yeah, um, that's when, the vice chair. The vice yeah. chair of ERCOT is living in Germany. <laughs> When you have a private entity set up to handle this sort of stuff, um, you might have expert people there, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be accountable to the people they're supposed to be serving, right? So yep. the representatives and senators and Governor Abbott and others are going to light into this organization and maybe make some changes there. The governor did not at all, at least in any of the comments I heard, and maybe this will change, he did not at all mention the Public Utilities Commission, which at least on paper – has authority over ERCOT, has jurisdiction over the power grid operator. Uh, the thing about the PUC is Governor Abbott appoints the board members at the PUC, right? Yep. So he, it would be natural for him to not be critical of a group that he's in charge of. Uh, yep. But I did see that it's – and this is not a partisan thing. Some Democrats had pointed out that the governor appoints the PUC board members and that they have jurisdiction over ERCOT. Uh, but I also saw – that the Republican chair of the Jurisprudence Committee in the Texas House, uh, excuse me, in the Texas Senate, uh, Senator Joan Huffman, 
uh, from Houston. She said that she's going to hold a hearing pretty soon. I don't think she set a date for it yet. She's going to. She said she's going to have a hearing looking into both the legal responsibility of ERCOT and the PUC. And so I think, Jeremy, in the final analysis on this, it's probably going to be the case that with so many entities involved, and one of the questions that that just couldn't be answered this week uh, in a real way is who's in charge? Yeah. Who's in charge of the way we get our energy? I mean, you have people in state government right now asking that question, wanting to know where the accountability is. Uh, and I don't think that any of these entities are going to completely have their hands clean, if you will, uh, when it comes to this whole blame game. What do you think? Oh, yeah. It's like who's going to make, you know, the decision making process of like if the governor doesn't have input, you know, with the PUC, which doesn't have input with. ERCOT on making the decisions of who's going to be without lights for 24 to 36 hours, mm-hmm. you know, versus other places, you know, it's like that, that, it, that it, whole structure, it's like, if you had more elected officials involved in it, of course, they're going to be more responsive to, you know, mm-hmm. uh, some family that's been out of power for, you know, 30, 40, 50 hours, you know, it's like, you know, maybe you try to make sure you're not hitting elderly homes, you know, or people with newborns, you know, it's like, it just it's like basic pieces that it's clear that ERCOT, you know, may not have had that in their decision-making process. We just don't know. We will eventually, you know, we'll have hearings to figure out, like, how much did they know what was on those grids when they were turning them off? Or was it just, nope, it's just your turn, center point. You got to go off. I don't care where you do it. I don't, just do it, you know? And so there's a lot to unravel here. It's going to be the rest of this legislature and beyond as we try to unravel what happened. Yeah, one of the things that's very different uh, from the beginning of the COVID-19 crisis is that the legislature is in session, and they're just starting their session. Um, It's a pared-down session because of COVID-19. But everything was left up to the governor in the beginning of the pandemic. Um, He seized power from local governments, as we covered here on the show. Uh, He asserted that only his office has the ability to make a lot of the decisions when it comes to uh, these disaster responses. Um, If the lawmakers really do, and we heard a lot of rumblings about this right over the summer, about whether they wanted to rein in the governor and his disaster powers. They have a whole new frame for that now yep. because you have a disaster happening on his watch while the legislature's in town. right? And, and this is also different from the hurricanes, uh, which we were mentioning before. Hurricane season doesn't happen during legislating season. right? So hurricanes usually happen at a time when lawmakers are not in Austin to make decisions about what the response should be. Um, this disaster happens when they are. And so it, and it was right in front of their faces. We reported at quorumreport.com this week about a conference call that the uh, ERCOT uh, managers held for lawmakers. And here's how real it was for the lawmakers. Some of them were calling in from their cars because the power in their house was out and they had no other way to charge their phone other than to go sit in the car with it running in the driveway while they're freezing, barely able to hear, hear what's happening on the on the call, uh, and had no electricity in their home. So, that, And I, I saw where uh, some lawmakers were trying to answer constituent emails sitting in their houses in the dark, tapping it out on their phone, if their phone would even work, because some cell towers were out because they don't have power. Yep. Uh, you know, th- it's not a luxury to have electricity. This is – it's, it, and I'm just thinking of it this way now as we're talking – the potential to be a real serious infrastructure session. The governor has already laid out one of his emergency items is increasing the access to broadband internet, right? Which needs to happen everywhere, according to him. He says it's not a luxury. Guess what else isn't a luxury? 
electricity. Uh, yeah. Rafael Anchia uh, was on MSNBC. He is a Democratic state representative from Dallas. And he said it's not the time for finger pointing when people are suffering in very real ways. I mean, we've got at the height of this uh, this crisis, four million Texans without electricity in the state of about 30 million Still tonight, even after all the interventions, about two and a half million Texans are without power. People are chopping up furniture for firewood. People are um, turning on their cars in their in their garages, to try to heat their homes. Carbon monoxide poisoning uh, admissions to hospitals are, are on the rise. Uh, we've had uh, reported uh, deaths throughout the state from people just freezing in their homes. So things are really bad on the ground. Representative Anchia said that the idea that the Green New Deal even came up in discussion is pretty ridiculous. We had a catastrophic failure of the entire architecture of our uh, energy production and grid system. We're the ninth largest economy in the world. Our, our, our economy is bigger than Russia's. And, and we, are, we pride ourselves on being independent and energy independent. And, and, and just recently we had a natural gas glut. Regrettably, we're unable to power our uh, power plants with that natural gas because it's frozen in the ground or pipes are frozen. We haven't been able to get it to the uh, generation. And then when we do on occasion, some of that generation has been failing. So uh, while the, well, I saw your clip earlier and I saw that the governor was trying to blame this on, I don't know, some crazy Green New Deal or, or, or uh, windmills. The reality is that we are powered and very proud of it by natural gas in this state. Uh, we are we, we don't shy away from fossil fuel in the state, uh, but regrettably, it has let us down during this crisis. Massive thermal output has been sidelined uh, because of the cold. Um, and uh, and we've had mechanical failures, operational failures and failures to get uh, gas out of the ground. It's been a big problem. He mentioned that Texas has a bigger economy than Russia. Uh, Republican leadership has often bragged about that. Uh, But then I saw some commentary online from folks who were saying, is this what it was like when the USSR fell uh, with people in the cold shooting vodka trying to stay warm? Um, (laughs) Anchia also said it's just not good enough, and it doesn't really uh, take into consideration the dynamic issue here when you only point the finger at ERCOT, which does deserve some blame, but not all of it. Well, what bugs me is that uh, rather than taking responsibility uh, for the the Public Utility Commission that oversees ERCOT, which he appoints the members to, he's just trying to, to, to boogeyman uh, where he can. You know, this is a time we need leadership in the state. We need the governor to act like he does when we have a hurricane blowing through, when he stands up there with the head of the Department of Public Safety and the the state guard and says, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to lead and we're going to we're going to give you direction on what to do. He has been woefully slow and late on this thing. So now he says he wants to investigate the grid operator. Well, in fact, he has had all of the tools in place of the Public Utility Commission, which, again, he controls and appoints uh, to do so during these last uh, decades. So the emergency items from Abbott, again, have to do with ERCOT reform, and that is very narrowly tailored probably for the reason that you're hearing, the, you know, the, the facts you're hearing there from Anchia, which is that the governor has the ability to appoint the board members of the state agency that oversees ERCOT. We will see how far lawmakers get with trying to reform anything that has to do with a board that Abbott makes the appointments to. Right. This is where you could see a veto if they get upset enough, because we have some Republicans who are already making noise about that. Um, And then the other thing is the winterization of these um, uh, power generating facilities. 
And the governor in one of his press conferences mentioned that the lawmakers need to address how to pay for that. We have talked about the uh, state budget here uh, as being maybe not as stressed as it was potentially going to be because of COVID-19. Originally, the comptroller had said that we'd be in a much deeper hole, maybe coming into January with $4.6 billion in the red, uh, but it's not as bad as all that. However, it's not like there's just extra money sitting around. And in looking into this, Jeremy, trying to pay for winterization of uh, wind turbines and also, uh, and main thing is the natural gas lines, you're talking about well in excess of a billion dollars. Yeah. Um, and where are they going to find that? Somebody was tweeting and saying, well, does, is, does this give new life to casinos and marijuana? I don't think so, but it does mean we have a tougher budget than we thought we were going to have. Yeah, there's a choice here. It's like, are we going to have taxpayers subsidize these private, you know, you know, utility companies to, you know, winterize everything? Or are we going to let those uh, utilities pass on the cost to us in the form of some sort of fees or higher, you know, mm-hmm. prices? It's th- those, those are the two choices. You right. know, it's like either we're paying for it as taxpayers or we're going to pay for it as utility payers. Right. It's like there's no other solution. It's not like anybody's going to winterize this stuff just because. It's like it is a profit-generated business mm-hmm. that's going to be focused on that, and we have to cover that somehow, some way. I think Texans are more likely willing to pay for it in some way, mm-hmm. you know, but as we've talked about in this legislature, the word t- you know raising taxes is never going to come out of somebody's no. mouth. So right. if anything's going to happen, they're going to make sure that this is something that is passed on through to the customer right. in some way through the utility companies. That is always the way it works in the public utilities game, right? It's the end user who ends up paying these uh, fees. And, and look, uh, do people really want to pay more? Uh, for something that almost never happens. That's going to be something that people are uh, considering uh, when this debate plays out. Uh, We did have that big winter storm 10 years ago, but who even really remembers that now, right? Six months from now, are people really going to care? One way to think about our energy regulatory scheme in Texas is it's set up to provide cheap power, but not necessarily reliable power. And Republicans will make the argument that nine out of 10 days out of the week, nine and a half days out of the week, how about nine and nine tenths out of 10 days of the week, that that's what you want. You want people to just have cheap power. This is why people shop at big retail stores where they can get stuff real cheap, right? They don't care about the other you know situations where uh, there are problems. The downside of it is that when you do have things go south on you, it becomes a humanitarian crisis. Do you really want to have that happen again? in three years, five years, 10 years, whenever it happens. Governor Perry, our former governor, Rick Perry, who was also the energy secretary, had something to say about that. He said that, you know what, Texans would be willing to be frozen in their homes for three or four days in exchange for the feds never coming in and having anything to say about the way we run our electric markets in Texas. Fascinating. The ERCOT system, because it's completely within Texas, is not under the jurisdiction of federal energy regulators, right? Because it doesn't cross state lines. Perry said in a post on, this is interesting. um, It was a blog post for uh, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy's website. This was the quote, Texans would be without electricity for longer than three days to keep the federal government out of their business. Try not to let whatever the crisis of the day is take your eye off of having a resilient grid that keeps America safe personally economically and strategically. Jeremy, I'd be willing to bet that if you did a poll on that this week in Texas, 
Perry would be wrong. That people <laughs> yeah. would. That, I mean, if you did it now, right? If if you it's said it's all the it, timing of the poll, right? <laughs> yeah. If you if you if you want to know uh, what people think about this right now, go and ask them, and they'll say Perry is full of it. I do. I never ever want to go through that again, and I don't care what has to happen. The uh, chairman of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, Richard Glick, said that the recent days in Texas without electric power are a humanitarian crisis and said that federal officials were ready to make sure that any recommendations made to the energy grid operators here are not simply a plan that's sitting on a shelf. Here was the uh, quote from the FERC chairman. That's all we need is more of these. uh, Yeah, more more acronyms. acronyms. Yeah, it's it's always alphabet soup. The FERC chairman, (laughs) Glick, said, quote, does it really make sense to isolate yourself and limit your ability to get power from neighboring regions just to keep FERC at bay? That strikes me as the proverbial cutting off your nose to spite your face. But, Jeremy, in Texas politics, that would not be the first time that happened. Yeah. Right? Well, it, it, yeah, it's funny because, like, you know, uh, one of the uh, comments uh, early in the week from ERCOT was that, you know, referencing that 2011 – uh, you know outages and the, the the resulting reports, and there was a call to do winterization then, like you mentioned. And but then they stressed it was it was a recommendation; mm-hmm. it was never required. Now I'm sure you know FERC, you know when they're dealing with say New Mexico, you know uh, or Oklahoma mm-hmm. when they're you know building power plants, I bet you it's required to winterize. Oh sure, you know? yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm assuming that. Places that are on the parallel with, you know, with you know, places like Dallas are winterized in you know, in New Mexico, but just not here. Right, it, it, and it's not like they can't do it. it you, I saw all these comments from people saying, you know, when it's cold out, the wind turbines freeze up. They 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 can't work. Did you know they have wind turbines in the North Sea? Exactly, they I can I, do it. Yeah, you know, okay, I I I also spent about four to five years of my life up in New York, mm-hmm. uh, and you know the the system there is very clear. You switch from you know uh, oils you know for heating uh, to a coal you know fired plant. You know it's like you have a way to you know convert those plants in certain temperatures. You know particularly because they know gas is going to be frozen. You can't get natural gas through a pipeline in frigid temperatures. And right. so they have contingencies to be able to flip power plants back and forth you know, to other sources in order to compensate for that. We don't do that. You know, we don't have that. Our natural yeah. gas plants are one-trick ponies. They are mm-hmm. not doing anything else. They're just burning gas, brother. <laughs> yeah, right. This snow and ice starting to melt now as we tape the show here on Friday. It's just been awful. Wouldn't you rather be somewhere warm? Yeah. Wouldn't you rather be like on a beach or something? Oh, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, Any where, ideas where? <laughs> yeah, let's 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 take a trip. Where would you like to go? Where would be good? Oh, I know. Need to get away from it all, but only for like four hours? Then come to Cancun, the perfect vacation spot for your half-day getaway. Senator Ted Cruz took off for Cancun. He was lampooned by The Daily Show there. That was a spoof uh, that popped up online uh, overnight. And you saw this everywhere, Jeremy. Senator Cruz um, with his family went to Cancun and he said that it was a sort of a, uh, a trip that was kind of last minute because his daughters asked to be able to go somewhere that was warm. Yeah. He was asked, he was just trying to be a good dad. That yeah, was the like, statement that he put out when this was first reported. Was it immediately clear that it was true? Because I, I saw where there were these photos floating around online 
that kind of looked like Ted Cruz. And I was a little surprised that nobody made the joke that the whole reason he's been growing the beard all along is because he was going to try to make an escape and no one would notice that it was him, you know, (laughs) trying to get out of the country. Um, Ted, I mean, the jokes are just all over the place. They write themselves. Uh, Folks were saying, you know, here's a guy who wants to shut down the Mexican border. Can they do it now? That he's in Mexico. <laughs> yeah. Here's a guy. Here's a here's a guy who's taking. Uh, you know, this was another one of the online jokes. He crossed the border uh, to give his children a better life. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> right. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> so <clears throat> it turned out it was him. You know, these these photos were floating around, and at first his comment uh, was nothing. Right. His staff wouldn't yeah. comment on it. They weren't going to say anything about it at all. Um, but once it was confirmed that it was him. He admitted that he was going to stay in Cancun, Mexico through the weekend, and he changed his flight and came back to Texas. So when he arrived in Houston, he was, of course, confronted by television cameras. Well, Texas is going through horrific storms, and millions of Texans have lost power and lost heat and have been hurt. And uh, our, our family was among them. We had no heat and no power. And... Uh, Yesterday, my daughters asked if they could take a trip with some friends, and Heidi and I agreed, so I flew down with them last night, uh, dropped them off here, and now I'm headed back to Texas and back to continuing to work to try to get the power on. What's happening in Texas is unacceptable, and a lot of Texans are hurting. Cruz needs some help here. That story sounds a little odd to folks, and the reporting in the New York Times and elsewhere bears out that he was not being completely truthful about this. There were some text messages that were leaked uh, to national media uh, from. And are you are you part of uh, any group chat messages? Uh, I am not. Yeah, Jeremy's not really. probably after seeing the story. It's probably a good idea that you're not, because in a in a in a, any room of two or three people, there are no secrets. And I would yep. say that a chat room or a chat message. Um, or a group text, that the same rule would apply. Um, clearly, there were some people involved in a group text with Heidi Cruz who either just hate the Cruises secretly, <laughs> or um, or they're certainly not the friends that they think they are, uh, because <laughs> because the text messages were published in the newspaper. Um, so, of course, what was the refuge? You heard um, Governor Abbott on the Sean Hannity show earlier, right, talking about wind power. The Refuge is the Sean Hannity show on Fox News Channel. Sean Hannity tries to help Cruz here. Um, He was on the show last night, and Hannity did some reporting of his own. Now, keep in mind that when uh, Fox News Channel has been taken to court over some of the things that are said by their talk show hosts, that they have argued, the Fox News lawyers have argued that people should not treat those shows as journalism, right? Keep that in mind. Yep. So Hannity says that he did some reporting of his own, and it's some pretty fancy footwork here. That Listen to what Sean Hannity says to try to bail out Senator Cruz. I have a piece of this story that nobody knows that you know to be true and Governor Abbott knows to be true. And that is I got contact very early in the week from the official meteorologist of my radio show, Joe Bastardi, frequent guest on this program at weatherbell.com. And he sent a note to both of you, to you and Governor Abbott. In that note, he said, this is going to be far worse than I think others are predicting. You got in touch with him. The governor got in touch with him. You took it seriously. And you worked hand in hand with the governor in the lead up to this, knowing this was all a big possibility. And this is days before that happened. And you were fully and completely engaged. And I know that 
from my own reporting and my own conversations with you and Governor Abbott and with Joe Bastardi. Um, now, you went and you took your daughters to Cancun and you came back. I think you can be a father and be the senator of Texas all at the same time and make a round trip, quick drop off trip and come home. Who sends their kids on a trip? I'm just asking a basic question. Who sends their kids on a trip with their mother? You're, you're the father and, and you're a good dad, right? You, you consider yourself a yep. good dad. I consider myself a good dad. I think you tweeted out something like if this, what, if, if going to Cancun is what it takes to be considered a good dad, some of us are going to fall short. Yep. Something like that, right? Um, it, who, who sends their kids on a trip uh, with their mother and goes all the way, flies all the way to the destination and comes right back? You no, know, you would go to the airport and drop them off and they would go and you'd go home, yeah, right? Yeah, the, yeah, people yeah. are not this stupid, are they? Yeah, exactly. The, the idea that his wife was going already, their mother was taking them. Right. It's like, why would you have to chaperone you know, the, your wife to Heidi take Cruz your children? Heidi Cruz needs his help. Yeah, to take I, I don't the kids. Yeah, ne- that's really tough to buy. The moment that. it came out, I was like, "Wait, yeah. why would he have to take the whole flight to go there to like see her <laughs> no, get to the hotel?" None like, of this what, makes is, any sense. Is he saying like Heidi Cruz can't handle this? <laughs> right. Um, Cruz told Hannity uh, that he was working on this disaster. He did not accept the line that I heard from some people, which you're going to hear in a minute. Some of his defenders have said that look, he's a senator. There's not much he can do in the midst of a crisis. You're going to hear more of that in just a second. But Cruz said that he was doing work behind the scenes to try to help Texans. Governor Abbott had already declared a an emergency in all 254 counties uh, all across Texas. And, and so I joined with John Cornyn in urging Joe Biden to declare a federal disaster uh, to mirror the governor's request, which President Biden, to his credit, did. And so that was... Early on, right before these storms came, we knew they were they were serious. Cruz says he sympathizes with Texans all over the state who have been suffering. This week has been hell for the state of Texas. It has been two storms on top of each other. Four million Texans lost power. No power, no lights, many with no water. It has been frustrating. I'll tell you, Sean, a lot of Texans are mad or pissed off. How can it be that Texas... The energy capital of the world can't turn our lights on and can't heat our homes. A lot of Texans are frustrated. This shouldn't have happened. The kinds of questions that legislators ask, right? Uh, Cruz is trying to be nuanced here, and I'm, I'm trying to be fair. I, I, I want you to hear his whole reasoning on this, Jeremy. He says they were at home, that he, his wife, and the kids were at home, and his daughters asked if they could go somewhere else, somewhere that was warm. And Cruz says that the way he thought about their request evolved from the time they asked, from the time the daughters said, can we go somewhere else? And Cancun was thrown out there as a, as a possibility. Between the time that the daughters asked and the time he sat down in the seat on the plane, his thinking evolved uh, during the trip, right? He, he thought it was okay at first, and then he started to realize, actually, no, maybe I should still be in Texas. We lost power for two days. Our house was dark. We had no heat. Actually, the fireplace behind me, we were all huddled around the fireplace because it was the only heat in the house. And, and after a couple of days, after the girls being really cold at being in the teens and the 20s outside, uh, our girls asked, said, look, school's been canceled for the week. Can, can, can we take a trip and, and go somewhere warm? And, and Heidi and I, as parents, we, we said, okay, sure. And so last night I flew down with them uh, to the beach. 
uh, and then I flew back this afternoon. I had initially planned to stay through the weekend and to work remotely there, but but as I as I was heading down there, I, you know, I started to have second thoughts almost immediately because the crisis here in Texas, you need to be here on the ground and as much as you can do by phone and Zoom, it, it's not the same as being here. And so I returned this afternoon and I'm here working to make sure to do everything we can to get the power turned on, but also fundamentally to ask the questions, why did this happen? Why was the Texas grid, which which is regulated at the state level, it's operated at the state level, it's not a federal function, it's a state function, but why was the grid not sufficiently prepared so that four million Texans lost heat and power? We need to answer that and we need to make sure it never happens again in the state of Texas. He's going out of his way there to say this is a state issue, not a federal issue, Jeremy. But has Cruz had anything to say about other politicians who skipped the country during a crisis? Has uh, that I ever happened? I remember that may have happened once or twice. Yeah. Did you see any inter- interviews about that today that, uh, that uh, sort of touched on that? Yeah, it's a, uh, you know that was Mayor Steve Adler of Austin mm-hmm. who was on the Today Show this morning, and you know our listeners will remember Steve Adler had a little jaunt to Cabo, you know, at oh, a yeah. time when he was requesting all of us to stay home and take this pandemic seriously, mm-hmm. and of course he skated off to Cabo, and of course the Today Show wanted to ask him since Cruz was you know flaming you when mm-hmm. you went to Cabo, don't you want to flame him back? Yeah, and uh, he. Took a hard pass on that. (laughs) He did not want to talk about that. Listen to this. This is uh, Savannah Guthrie on the Today Show trying to get Adler to weigh in. And his face, it just looked like deer in headlights. I really don't want to talk about this. The two of you have a history here because you yourself went to Mexico in December and uh, to attend a wedding, having told your constituents not to travel because of the pandemic. And Senator Cruz was the one who called you out for it on Twitter, calling you a complete and utter hypocrite. So I guess I have to ask you this morning, what do you think about Senator Cruz's actions this week? You know, I am entirely focused on getting food and water to the people in my community that don't have it this morning. I'll leave those issues to to, to Senator Cruz and his voters. Uh, but I'm trying to pull people together because we have a real big task in front of us here over the next couple of days. All right. So, so no thoughts on that? You don't care to return the favor to Senator Cruz? I am going to stay focused on getting water and food to the people in my community. As somebody who lives here in Austin, Jeremy, I, I can say I think that the last thing that Mayor Adler wants is for anybody to remind uh, anyone else about the fact that he skipped off to Cabo while he was telling people to stay home and to take all the necessary precautions and not leave the house if they if, if you know if they could avoid leaving the house. I would say that it maybe isn't hypocritical on uh, on Cruz's part because I don't remember Cruz asking anybody to do the right thing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, it was, uh, you know, the, the situations are a little different. They both did go to to Mexico. So who rode to his defense? Um, there were a few people. Donald Trump Jr. Uh, he likes to record these short videos and put them out online, giving his take on various things. And he said that he wasn't going to pile on Cruz. He said this is what the liberal left does. They want to cancel Cruz. And you saw. Um, even the Houston Chronicle editorial board once again saying that he should resign. Not the first time that they had said that. Other people saying he should resign as well. It is pretty egregious that he left the state during this crisis, right? I do think it's a sideshow to compared to what's going on with Governor Abbott, but I get it. I get why people are angry. So 
Donald Trump Jr. says it's the left and cancel culture. They want to pile on Cruz and Trump's not going to do that. However, if I were a Trump, which I am, uh, you know, I'd come up with a nickname for something like this, like maybe, I don't know, Cancun Cruz. It's funny. Okay. But like, honestly, I can't get on this bandwagon trying to cancel the guy. It's totally ridiculous. It's absolutely absurd. They should focus on the things that matter. They should focus on people in power who could actually affect change in a crisis, not people who work and legislate from D.C. This argument I heard a few times. Uh, ben Shapiro uh, also floated this out there that, look, it's the executive branch that responds to disasters. It would be either the governor or the president, and hopefully the two of them working together in concert, which we do see is happening. Uh, you do have uh, President Biden, as you tweeted out earlier, uh, calling uh, Governor Abbott, and I believe he's going to visit uh, Texas uh, as soon as next week, maybe. Um, yep. Is that right? Um, so, so the executive branch has to act quickly in these disasters. But Jeremy, we know better than this. Uh, people who are elected to represent people, especially those statewide officials are representing everybody in the middle of a disaster uh, that includes all 254 counties, uh, nearly 30 million people. There, there are lots of things that they can do. It, they, it, they're not just the senator we're on the, when they're on the floor of the Senate or when they're appearing on Fox News Channel, right? They're always the senator, and they have power. Yeah. Well, and, and there's a public relations piece that they have to it. You, you've seen Ted Cruz do it before, you know, during hurricanes. You know, he, he and Sheila Jackson Lee working together at a hurricane center or a shelter, you know, it's like trying to show that we're all right. in this together type thing. You know, and then, I mean, even this this week, if you look back on Tuesday, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who represents the Bronx, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like she doesn't represent anybody in Texas. No connection she, to Texas. Uh, in, in a, in a, I mean, she's, she's obviously done some activism in texas and we've talked about that right but but yep. but but she's a new york congresswoman yeah exactly and what does she do like early in the week she turned to her donor base and tried to get them to donate uh to the uh, the food banks in houston in mm -hmm. austin uh to homeless shelters and right. she's ended up raising two million dollars you know just from her donor base that she's bringing to houston yep. uh, you know on friday afternoon you know, to try to help out, you know, feed people who are suffering. So there's things that politicians can do, you know, to kind of bring, you know, turn their donor base into something that could be helpful to people other than themselves. I haven't yeah. seen anybody else doing that. Yeah, I, I would tell people don't buy this argument, though, that a senator can't do anything during a disaster. And and you're right. There's a definitely a, a PR aspect, a public relations aspect. Uh, what AOC is doing isn't just PR. That $2 million is going to help people, right? Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, if you really buy this argument that a U.S. senator can't do anything during a disaster, then we should not have U.S. senators. Um, they are among the most powerful people in the country. There's only 100 yeah. of them. It's in a very exclusive club. Um, when you are the – let me put it this way. When you're the person in Austin or Houston or Dallas – who is going out to the backyard to shovel snow into a bucket so you can melt it in the bathtub so you have water to flush the toilet with, you're not the person who Governor Abbott is probably going to take a call from. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But he'll take Ted Cruz's call 
right? And the people at ERCOT will take Ted Cruz's call, and the people at the energy companies will take Ted Cruz's call. He can be working the phones. He can be talking to his donor base. He can be asking the very wealthy, connected people in this state to do more for the people who don't have as much. There are all kinds of things that a U.S. senator can do. And so this argument, oh, it, the, the executive branch is the one that deals with that. He can't do anything. That And you know, think about the kind of staff that a U.S. Senate office has. Yeah. Um, there are, and I, I, I will say this, there are some very de- dedicated legislative staffers at the state level and at the congressional level, too. Um, the people I have more uh, familiarity with are the people who are doing incredible work and have been doing incredible constituent service work uh, in Texas during the COVID-19 pandemic. I've yep. seen them doing... Food drives. I've seen them doing uh, PPE uh, distributions. I've seen them doing all kinds of work to help people. And the idea that a senator who probably has 20 times the staff as a state representative from Houston or Longview or somewhere like that, the senator can't do anything, that's bogus. Well, yeah. Look, you know, I, you know, I think we talked about it before. I've been doing a lot of work with the Central Texas Food Bank. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And on one of the you know trips I was out there with, John Cornyn was literally in the food bank line helping you know load up you know trucks. Right. You know, it's like just to bring attention to it. Yeah. Was there media behind him? Yeah. But it helped mm-hmm. produce a lot more volunteers to kind of come out and work right. with us. It's called leading. So there. There is absolutely things that a United States senator can do in the middle of a crisis that can help keep the focus on people who are hurting. We're not talking about like, you know, some pie in the sky stuff. There mm-hmm. are people like let's go back to Carol, you know, you know Carol Anderson like dying in his truck. You know, there are people like who are who were supposed to be getting food distributions this week yeah. who couldn't get to them obviously because of the road conditions and lack of power. So their the needs are even higher. And like in it would be nice if like everybody, you know, that whole thing where we kind of come together in a crisis, you know, it's like mm-hmm. this is a moment where it would be nice if everybody like focus on the task at yeah. hand, which is like there are people hungry everywhere in this state right now. Yeah. And the only thing to fix it is going to be money and manpower, you right. know, and if we can do that, like we can feed people get their lights on and everybody can move on back to regular life. Yeah. One of the ironies of this week, it occurred to me is that generally it's pretty popular that Texas government does not do very much. You know, it's it's always been the marketing from uh, Governor Perry in the past and Governor Abbott. Now that Texas government kind of stays out of the way of private industry and lets the free market, um, you know, take care of things. But there are, and you know, for, for most of the time, that's fine. For most of the time, that works and is popular in this state. But there are times when everybody has to band together, and we've seen it over and over again. I'll go right back to the hurricanes. Uh, And you mentioned uh, Cruz working alongside Sheila Jackson Lee, um, who they don't agree on anything politically. He and AOC agree on more things. Then he agrees with uh, SJL, <laughs> Probably. if you will, right? I mean, they, they, uh, AOC and he were going to work together on some stuff at one point, although that was ended when he had played any role in that, in, inciting that riot. Uh, I do believe he had a role in that, uh, that uh, insurrection uh, on January 6th. But, you know, in Houston, uh, in the aftermath of a hurricane, there are long lines for help, right? Yeah. People need food. They need um, rental assistance. They need um, other housing needs. They, they need just direct cash payments in some instances. Um, oftentimes, the longest line in Houston is the line of volunteers, people who want to help. Yeah, I, I remember 
after uh, Hurricane Katrina came ashore in New Orleans and they brought so many of those evacuees to the Astrodome. I was stationed there when I was working at uh, KTRH in Houston. Um, The story that always sticks with me was this woman who was carrying her infant. She said that she had uh, boarded a – she got on a stolen po'boy truck in New Orleans with some guys who had just stolen the truck to make their way to the Superdome, where they stayed in squalid conditions. If you remember that, uh, at the Superdome, the conditions were so bad in there that uh, that, uh, some of the reports were that journalists who were inside, uh, some uh, Associated Press reporters who were calling in their reports so that they could put the news on the newswire, they would have to stop in the middle of their report to, and I'll just say this, uh, dear listener, they would have to stop in the middle of the report and throw up for a little while. And then start the report again, because that's how bad it was in there. So they moved them from the Superdome to the Astrodome on buses. This woman got on the stolen po'boy truck because she was going to do anything she could to save her kid. There were all these people lined up, um, the Texans, for all over uh, the Houston area and the surrounding area, bringing food, bringing water, bringing diapers, just saying, what what can I do to help? To the point where the organizers who were there and the the, uh, the county judge at the time, Robert Eccles, in his office, they were in charge of the uh, disaster response at the Astrodome. They had to say, stop bringing stuff. If you're yeah. going to do anything, just send cash because then we can figure out what to do with it, like what, what's going to be needed in the moment. Another friend of mine who worked uh, after Hurricane Harvey at the George R. Brown Convention Center said if they tweeted out in the morning that they needed sweatshirts or something what you you make up the thing an hour later they'd have to tweet out stop bringing that thing yep yep texans want to help and to your point about cornyn being there at the food bank so just tell me what i need to do yeah tell me what i need to do show me what i need to do and what people need is a leader and not anybody making excuses i can well, tell you what well, go ahead jeremy no and and that gives like a, a sense of empathy too right you know so when john cornyn like you know let's just be callous and say okay he's just doing it for a publicity stunt right sure. but still when Could he's be. taking that box and so, putting yeah. that you know you know box of like you know perishable food in the back of a beat up pickup truck of some family that really needs food there's no way he's not getting it you know, it's like he's getting the situation. And, like, even if, like, again, and, and, and again, Cruz knows this. It's not like Cruz hasn't done this before. Yeah. You know, it's like he's he's been at hurricanes. He's seen this happen before. So just being on the ground and going around to check on elderly, mm-hmm. you know, with his staff or, yes, you know, like anything. using some resources to kind of make sure people are okay just gives him a sense of what people are really living through mm-hmm. that aren't in, a, a like, a very expensive house. You know, we're sorry that you had to gather around your fireplace. Yeah. You know, here's a news flash: most of Texans don't have a fireplace or a home like you have. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, come on now, let's let's try to relate to the fact that, like you said, like people are collecting rainwater or snow water so they can flush their toilets. And it's like, and it's like to see, you know, Ted Cruz flying back from Cancun. It, yeah. it just got to feel. Hopefully they didn't have power to see that because <laughs> they, they would well, have thrown their TV out. 
It also occurred to me that the political ramifications of this may not have fully happened yet. The people who would have the most reason to be angry with Cruz may not know about it yet. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's a good point. I had no, I had no power uh, for the first couple of days here, and for a while, cell service was not working very well. Social media wasn't coming up on the phone. Um, it was hard to access um, internet, uh, any website uh, at all. Uh, there's a lot of people who are just dealing with, you know, basic survival, and they don't maybe even know, haven't been updated on what happened with Cruz yet, and the political realities and political fallout of any storm. It always happens not just in the days afterward, but in the weeks and months and years afterward. And yep. believe me, we are going to be here to keep an eye on all this for you because we're going to be asking those questions even if some of those elected folks uh, don't even know what they need to ask. All right. Is that enough show? That is enough show. Yes. I appreciate people sticking with us and uh, we're, um, you know, we're thankful that you're there. Hope that people are doing okay. Let us know how you're doing. Tweet at us, Jeremy S. Wallace. Do I have it right? Jeremy yep, S. Wallace on Twitter. I'm at Scott Braddock there. I've been asking people intermittently through the week just how they're doing. I put out one tweet that said, tell me, Texans, check in with me. How are you doing? And it immediately gets about 300 responses when I couldn't even read them because the tweets weren't coming through on the phone. Yeah. That's how frustrating that was. So I saw them later. So my heart goes out to everybody dealing with this crisis. If you enjoy this show, we love that you do. We love you for being there. Uh, and we appreciate it if you would be a subscriber on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, however you listen to your favorite podcasts. For up-to-the-minute intelligence on what's happening in your state government, go to quorumreport.com, click subscriptions. We'll get you signed up. And you can check out Jeremy's work anytime at HoustonChronicle.com. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.